This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Our guest today, Kim Kalb, is a self-confessed accidental entrepreneur. As the co-founder and CEO of the Superfan Company, a fan engagement agency creating merchandise, products, and programs for entertainers, celebrities, and brands, Kim is seen pulling concerts together one day and working with Oprah the next. In this insightful interview, Kim shares the realities of realising her childhood dream job, the grey areas of work, and the rise and rise of the Superfan Company. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay. Now over to the brilliant Kim. Kim, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. I am so excited to be here. It's going to be so much fun. So much fun. Love it. So, you know, you and I recently connected via LinkedIn where you were an absolute rock star and a LinkedIn influencer. But when I looked into you and all of the incredible work that you're doing and, and that you've done in business for almost 10 years now, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, when you say it like that, I sound old. For the record, I started the company at 25. I'm very young people. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't look a day over 25. Let's just make it, let's just make that clear. <laughs> I am a young person. <laughs> I love it. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am an accidental entrepreneur and I tell everybody that because I think it's really important. I think sometimes on social media, whether you're on Instagram or LinkedIn, we see all these glory stories of people who are like Richard Branson or Sarah Blakely from Spanx. And they're like, I was selling candy on the school bus. Like I was an entrepreneur. I had a lemonade stand. I never had a lemonade stand. I was the one buying the candy from the smart kids at the back of the bus. Like I was not entrepreneurial at all. My dream was to go work at a corporate job, which I did. It was awesome. I shout out to corporate, loved it. No, no bashing corporate over here. And entrepreneurship sort of found me. It was not something that I was going out and looking to do. 
it just an opportunity presented itself. And at the time I was like, all right, well, let's give this a whirl. And again, not, it's something crazy, like 96% of startups fail in the first year. I mean, it's something insane. So in my head, it was like, well, statistically, this will fail because that's statistics. And at least when I go back and try to get another corporate job, I'll have a really funny story about how I tried to start a company and it didn't work. Great. And so I think that's always an important part of my story because I think sometimes when you just quickly go on LinkedIn or you check out my Instagram, you're like, oh, she's working with Oprah and she's working with Katy Perry and she's working. And so it seems like, oh man, she must've been one of those like young hustlers. No, no, no. Like I, for everybody listening that thinks, you know, entrepreneurship's not for me because I wasn't selling lemonade at age six, just know that it can come out of nowhere and bite you on the butt like it did to me because I was 25 and this has been my first company and continues to be an amazing entrepreneurial ride that I find myself on. Oh, I just love it. I I think I love that you've just explained that to us and that, you know, it isn't, you weren't that, you know, that kid doing tech on their computer at 12, you know, building apps, you know, and I think it's just, it's so refreshing because so many of us see, you know, amazing entrepreneurs like you and we're just like, wow, you know, this, how could I ever, you know? And so I guess if we think back to, you know, Kim, the early days I kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, before we dive deeper into your entrepreneurial journey, I want to, I guess, start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? I grew up in West Palm Beach, Florida, which is, well, used to be when I was growing up there, like a sleepy beach town. And, you know, where people surf and go boating and, you know, you have bonfires on the beach and just that sort of, the, the town has obviously grown immensely in the last 35 years. But if you rewind, then it was definitely a lot more sleepy. And so for me, I think how it shaped myself is I loved magazines. As a kid, I got all the magazines, all the teen magazines as I got older, like Seventeen and Teen Vogue and Bop and Teen Beat and all of those things. And so I was obsessed with magazines. They helped me live in other worlds, you know, and live in other places through these pages. And so it really sparked my love of publications. And it was from then on that I knew I was like, I really want to work in a magazine. And it just so happens that here in the U.S., you have local magazines for sure, but the main big sort of worldwide publications, the Vogue's, the Vanity Fairs, the GQ's, the Marie Claire's, like the big ones are all based in New York. They're all based in sort of the belly of the beast, New York City. So I think from a young age, because I loved magazines so much and I really wanted to work in publications, New York City was sort of sort of an inevitable place that that I would end up and I think really helped land me where I'm at, which is, you know, living and working in New York City. Oh, the dream. Don't we all, you know, I think regardless of what country you're from or where where you're based, I think New York has got, at least to me, and I think many of our listeners will be able to resonate with that, 
that kind of sparkle to it. And it's, it's the city of dreams. And I think, you know, if you think back to you then, you know, it was almost your dream to kind of go and work for the magazine and whatnot. So, you know, I saw that you went to the University of Florida, I think it was, and you did a master's, uh, no, so you did marketing and business admin, you know, and then you went on to study communications at NYU, you know, talk to us a little bit about that time at college, you know, was this idea of going to work for a magazine, was it formed during that time? And, and how did you, how did I guess college shape you and your vision of the world around you? I started wanting to work in a magazine at age 12. And I feel like in college, a lot of people go through this process of, I thought I wanted to be this and now I'm changing my major. I thought I wanted to do that and now I don't. Knock on wood, I don't know, from age 12 onward, I was like magazine, 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 magazine. Like I was single focused. There was no changing, you know, steady Steve sort of thing. But I will say if there is one thing I wish I could have done differently when I was back in university is that I wish I would have cared about my grades less. And what I mean by that is I am in business. You know, I think we're all, unless you're a doctor or an architect listening to this, you know, we work in business. We're either selling ourselves or we work in marketing or sales or communications And so much of that is networking. So much of that is who you know, who you can call. I always tell people that your network is your net worth. Like that is it. Like that is your calling card. Who you can pick up the phone and call is going to be your best friend. And so in college, I think I was so obsessed with my grades I need to get an A, I need to get an A, that I would say, well, I would have, I would join this club. My roommate at the time started a club called the International Business Society, IBS, which also stands for Irritable Bowel Syndrome. We never let her forget. We're like, cool club called IBS. So she started IBS and I can remember saying to her, I can't join your club because I have to go to all these study hours to get my B in financial accounting up to an A. And I think that while that was great of me from a very studious type A standpoint, it wasn't if you zoomed out and looked at the big picture, because what would have actually been helpful is getting a strong network and being in those clubs and meeting people. Because at the end of the day, I tell people right now, nobody cares what my GPA is. 0.0 people care about your GPA. And I would know because after working for the last decade, I know some really dumb people with some really high positions at Fortune 500 companies. And they are not smart, but they know the right person or their cousin is friends with the CEO or whatever. And it's like, well, looks like Billy Bob has a job, even though he's not that smart. So I always tell people... If you're getting into anything to do with business, that unless you're going to go be an accountant, a CPA, please don't mess up our taxes. Like, please go to school and please get A's. But anything else, don't worry so much about the grades. Worry more about the networking and the business angle because that is so huge. Mm. Why do you think we get it? so wrong? Why do you think, you know, we think so much about those grades and we beat ourselves up and, you know, we don't actually go out there and and do the other things? You know, we think they're distractions. You know, why do we do that? 
Well, I think one, society tells us to. And two, I think we're also programmed as humans to always want what's next. When you're a freshman, you want to be a sophomore. When you're a sophomore, you want to be a senior. You have straight hair, you want curly hair. You know, you want a boyfriend so badly, you get a boyfriend, you're like, this is annoying, I want to be single. So, you know, you're always kind of wanting this grass is greener mentality. And I think that that happens a lot when it comes to grades. And I also think it happens a lot when it comes to business because you're always focused on what's next. And another another example that I see people, a mistake that people make all the time is when they leave jobs or leave internships, they leave the people behind. And what I mean by that is I have no problem with you leaving a job. I have no problem with you leaving an internship. I do have a problem if you're not staying in touch with people from those places. And I've had so many people say, well, Kim, um, at university, my internship was in PR, but now I decided I don't want to be in PR. I want to go be a yoga instructor. I want to go be in the fitness industry. So I don't need to keep in touch with all those people. Bye-bye. And what I say to that is you have no idea the power of networking. And if anybody has played this game on long road trips, it's called the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And you basically name actors that are six degrees or within six degrees of Kevin Bacon. But the concept is that we're six degrees away from anyone in the world. And so why say don't leave the people in that example, that person might say, well, I'm going to go be a yoga instructor. What could that PR person do for me? And what they don't realize is a year or two down the line, and they're getting more famous in their yoga business, that they decide, I want to make my own yoga mats. Great. I have no idea how to make a yoga mat. How do, how do you even do that? And then they post on LinkedIn, does anyone know how to make a yoga mat? I want to make a yoga mat. And if they had stayed in touch with some of those people, they might say, well, actually, my brother works at a company that makes yoga mats or my cousin's girlfriend works at a company that makes yoga mats. People ask me all the time, well, how did you get this client and how'd you get that job and how'd you get this thing? And I'm like, my network. And they're like, yeah, but that's so less field. And I'm like, yeah, but somebody's cousin's uncle's friend's sister does know someone there. So if you work the grapevine enough, so I tell people all the time, even if you're trading industries, even if you think it doesn't connect in any way, stay in touch with people, especially now with technology. It's never been easier, whether it's on Instagram or whether it's on LinkedIn, to keep people around, even if at the time you think that that has no value or, oh, my grades at the time have more value than this networking club or than this school thing I want to do. It's like, I wish I could get back in a time machine and say, oh my gosh, I know you can't see it now, but that's what's going to pay dividends down the road, not your grades. Mm. Oh, just so valuable. And I think I just couldn't agree more. I mean, now technically I'm like linked to Oprah. I mean, come on, let's think about this, you know, through Kim. I mean, come on. But no, it's just, it's so, I actually couldn't agree more. I think if we dive a bit deeper into, into your story. So, you know, you've, you've now like, you've kind of, you've gone through, you've gotten your grades, your great grades, and now you're headed straight into corporate, you know, what, what was that first gig that you got? And then I guess, talk to us a little bit about 
how you then so naturally or I guess strangely transi- transitioned into your own business and where that idea came from. Yeah. So my first job was at Condé Nast Publications. So again, they do Vogue, Vanity Fair, a lot of big titles, which was exciting. I will say I got my first job in 2008, which obviously was the height of the recession here in the US, fun times. And because it was the height of the recession, it was like, listen, you're going to take what you can get. So the first six months, I actually, they call it full-time freelance, which is basically you're working full-time. You're working nine to five, five days a week. But somehow, I don't even know how this is possible. The company gets away with not paying for your health insurance. They don't pay for like any benefits. It was terrible. But I say that because I think sometimes one thing, it obviously shows that I was like, I'll take what I can get. And sometimes you have to kind of put in your dues. But I also say that because I know that I had an immense amount of privilege to be able to do that. You know, there are some people who are like, I cannot go without health insurance. You know, my parents won't help me out or, you know, I don't have a savings account to fall back on. So you know, first and foremost, huge amount of privilege being able to move to New York and do that with a job that was not paying me very well and certainly not covering all my expenses. So that's first and foremost. However, I learned a ton over the two and a half years that I was at Condé Nast. If anybody's seen Devil Wears Prada, it is not that far off. Uh, it is a crazy place to work, but you do meet so many interesting people, gain so many connections and make so many friends and contacts that, you know, here still 10 plus years later, I'm still very close with and, and count on all the time. So I would say if you have to start at the bottom of the barrel, which I think we all, I mean, I was getting coffee. I was walking my boss's dogs at one point. I mean, I was just like, however, I'm going to get my foot in the door. I'm going to get my foot in the door. And I think sometimes people graduate from university and think, well, I've done five internships and I deserve a vice president title like from the start. And I, and I just look at them and I laugh. And I think back, like I was literally walking my boss's dogs. Like I was the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, but it was an industry I really wanted to be in. And it was something I really wanted to do. So I was like, let me pick up the poop, like literally and figuratively, here we go. And so doing that for two and a half years, I think I, I gained so much and it got to the point where I realized I had learned all I could at that time and at that position and and where I was at. And so I was, again, networking, talking to a friend over lunch saying, yeah, I'm kind of ready for a new challenge. You know, I think that that's something that I want to pursue. And it was at that point that she said, hey, you know, I have a friend, he's hiring at this ad agency, I think you might want to join it. And I was 25 and foolish and did no research, no Googling, I don't know what I was thinking. I was delirious or something. And I was like, sure. Within two weeks, I had quit my job at Connie Nass and started at this ad agency. And again, very much like dating. If you don't get to know the person, you realize you're in a terrible relationship. So I realized very quickly that I hated the ad agency. It was not fun. It was not where I wanted to be. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. And it was at that place that I met my former co-founder. 
And so I met her and she was, and my plan at the time was like, I'm going to call my old boss at Condé Nast and grovel and cry and ask for my job back. And, you know, that's a blow to the dignity. I don't think anybody really wants to be doing that. So I was not too excited about that plan. And she said, well, before you call crying, literally and figuratively, maybe you want to hear this idea that I have of this company, I think that we can start. And again, I was like, well, let's start this company. It's going to fail. But at least when I go groveling back, I'll have like a really funny story to tell Monday Nast. And that was, you know, nine years ago. And Thankfully, I've never had to call Connie Nass since then. (laughs) I think, you know, so many of us can get almost caught up about what our careers or our, you know, our businesses should look like. You know, I've got this vision and I think for you, that vision was fulfilled initially. It was, I'm going to work at this awesome magazine in New York City. It's going to be all sexy and awesome. And then, you know, when you made, when you progress from there, it became a bit gray and you were kind of like, oh, I guess I'll just try this thing and we'll say, you know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening around getting okay with the gray parts of life or the gray areas of our career? I always say to think of the gray as general. And what I mean by that is get a vision in your mind of how you would generally like to be. And I'll give you an example because it just happened with my friend not too long ago. She was very general instead of specific. So she didn't say, I really want to get a job at SoulCycle. You know, SoulCycle, SoulCycle, SoulCycle has to be SoulCycle. If it's not SoulCycle, I don't know, I'm going to die or something. You know, she wasn't so set. She just said, I know I want a job in fitness and I want a job in the fitness industry that is going to challenge me and that allows me to be flexible with my working hours. That was it, you know, very general. And because of that generality, she was able to then go and find a position at a place that she had never even heard about before a friend had told her about it. And so sometimes I think instead of thinking, oh, I don't know what I want to do or I don't know, I tell people, if you can just get a general idea, you know, I generally think I want to go into, I don't know, fishing or fitness or marketing or get a general sense and maybe one or two things that are important to you. So, you know, I have some people and by the way, this is a perfectly acceptable answer. I think again, we're in this constant state of like, well, I want to be challenged and I want to push myself. I have a friend, love her to death. She's like, I want to be a kindergarten teacher. That's it. And some people are like, well, you want to be a kindergarten teacher for two years before you can level up and then be a fifth grade teacher. And then from fifth grade teacher, you're going to be the vice principal. And then from vice principal, you're going to go to a principal. And then you're, you're eventually going to be the superintendent of the entire school. And she's like, nope, just, just kind of really like the kindergarten, like want to stick with that, like really fine fulfillment and joy in my job every day. And I don't want I don't want to go up the corporate ladder. I don't want to be a principal of a 300 person school. And I think we've lost that message. And I think a lot of young people have lost that message along the way that in this constant rat race of what's next, what's better, where's my next raise, where's my next. 
I had a friend the other day who was like, well, you know, I've been at my job for three years, so I really feel like it's time for a change. And I said, well, are you not happy at work? No, no, no. I'm really happy. Do you like your boss? Oh, my boss is great. Like love my boss. Like so great. Okay. Well, what about the people you work with? Oh, I have the best team. Like I can rely on them all the time. And I'm going, okay, well, kind of sounds like you're really happy. So I'm not sure why you plan on getting a new job. And it was almost, again, this, this unspoken thing of like, well, I've been here for three years, so time to make a change, time, time to move. And, and I really told her, I was like, you need to go meditate on this or, or to have some thinking time or something. Cause it sounds like you're leaving a great job where you're happy where you are. You're learning from your boss. You make enough money to live a comfortable life. And I don't know, sounds pretty great to me. <laughs> Why do we do that? You know, why do we always want more? Well, I mean, watch the social dilemma, right? <laughs> watch any of these social media. Uh, you know, why do we constantly refresh our Instagram feed? Why are we constantly addicted to more likes and more comments and more? It's those dopamine hits of more dopamine, more dopamine, more dopamine. And so, yeah, I think there's this rush of I'm going to get a new job and I'm going to get a new title. I'm going to get more money and you know, you can go and see any celebrity biography or any celebrity documentary. And the first thing I think Lizzo posted a TikTok the other day that was like, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you're not happy, you know, if you're not happy with yourself, the millions of dollars that Lizzo has in her, you know, penthouse in Malibu doesn't really matter. So I think it's really one of those things that in work and in life, checking in with yourself and saying, am I actually happy? Not about what other people want. Well, other people want to see you move up the chain. Well, other people want to see you get a promotion. Well, other people, it's like, well, forget other people. What do you actually want? And I found that a lot. And I've definitely been victim to that, you know, living in New York city with a startup that was succeeding and everyone telling me, hire more people, make more money, raise a round of funding. And I can remember being super burnout going home to Florida for the holidays back in, I want to say it's like 2014 or 2015 with 16 people working at the company. Everybody's reporting to me. And I went home for holiday and I was there for about two and a half weeks. And I sort of had this come to Jesus moment where I just said, I am freaking miserable And at least when you work in corporate, you can blame your misery on like, well, the boss sucks. It's like, well, I'm the boss. So I suck. I have created an environment of suckage for myself to live in. And if you're going to be your own boss, why on earth would you create a situation that sucks when you are the one who can change it? And so I had this moment where I just said, Everybody else wants me to hire more people. Everybody else wants me to take on all this work and raise this round of funding. And I can remember sitting on the beach saying to myself, I don't want that. I don't want that. And and while I might be good at it, that's another good thing for people to realize. You can be good at something and not like it. I am a good boss. I can manage 16 people. I can manage 50 people. I don't like it. So... I don't want to do it. 
And I came back from that holiday and I can remember going to my former co-founder and saying, uh, I don't want all these people reporting to me. I don't want this. I don't want a 50 person company. I don't like just no, no thanks. Unsubscribe. Don't want it. And that was when, you know, we really called down the business, really shaved down the amount of people we were working with and, and we're hiring on. And again, I feel like I have to have these come to Jesus talks with myself pretty much every six months because you do get caught up and listen, you get caught up with the people who love you too, right? It's, it's what my mom wants. It's what's my dad wants, what my fiance wants. It's like you constantly find, and you love these people and they love you and they're trying to push you and they're trying to, you know, do what's best for you and and see what's going to be in the best direction. But you really have to, you know, kind of check in with yourself and say, what do I actually want at this time? Not what necessarily society and other people around me think that I should have or think that I should want. It's just so valuable. And I think, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think it just hit me definitely in a certain way. And I'm sure many of our listeners are internalizing that. I think it's so fascinating because you, you know, I think it was only a couple of years before that first come to Jesus moment in 2011, where you guys were on Shark Tank. It was huge. You know, I think you got deal offers for from four of the five sharks and it was one of like the highest valuations in the show's history or something so you know talk to us a little can you talk us through a little bit about that experience there and I guess even the decision to go and 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 get that you know go on the show and all of that because I think at that time your business was actually doing very well and you know so talk to us a little bit about that moment there and then I guess reflecting back on that and, and the years to come where you had the burnout. Totally. I mean, Michelle, we're going to keep it real, which is like a real, real story, Love that. which is, uh, I wish that I could say that we went through the shark tank process the normal way. And I'm sure some of your listeners are going to be like, I hate this girl. She sucks. But I will say we had just so happened to be on the Inc. magazine, 35 under 35 list that year. And the way the magazine was laid out, if you can kind of picture a magazine page in your mind, it was a picture of the founders and then one of those like blobs that magazines do where it's like name, age, city, investors. And, you know, your little blob had all these sort of things. And to give you an idea who was on the list with us that year, Travis, the former CEO of Uber, founder of Uber, was on the cover. He was one of the 35 under 35. So Travis's blob, Travis's bubble was like, Travis, you know, Los Angeles, California. And then his investors were like the who's who of, you know, Ashton Kutcher, Gary V. Like his investors are all sexy and cool. And there were a bunch of other people on the list that year. And anyways, it gets to, to our blob. And our blob is a very tiny blob. It's actually more of a dot because we have no investors. So the other 34 people on the list that year, their blobs were huge with all these sexy, you know, Heidi Klum invest in this and Richard Branson invest in this. And, you know, our blob is like a dot and it just says like New York City, you know, whatnot. And so a producer from the show had was reading that article reached out and said, Hey, I don't know if this is a misprint from the magazine, but it seems like they didn't print any of your investors. 
uh, you know, what's up with that? And we said, well, that's because we don't have any investors. So it was not a mistake. We don't have any. And he said, well, would you be interested in some, you know, what, what would you be interested in coming on the show? And full disclosure, I had never watched Shark Tank. I'd never watched Dragon's Den. I didn't know what those shows were. And we had been approached years prior in a very similar, like, Lauren Conrad in the Hills or like Laguna Beach type of thing of, oh, you're, you're two women and you're young and you're working with all these celebrities and, you know, we could follow you around and make a reality show. And I was just like, no, no, I don't want to be Kim Kardashian. I don't want to be Kristen Cavallari. I don't want people like, no, thanks. No, thanks. And so I will say when the email first came in, I was like, let's delete it. I don't, it's a reality show. I don't want to be on a business-based reality show. And my former co-founder was like, I love this show. Like, please just go home and watch an episode of the show. And I'd love to go on the show. You know, before you say no, at least watch an episode. So I went home that week and I watched an episode and I was like, oh, this is not like the type of reality show that I was thinking it was. And so long story short, I agreed to say yes. And we went on the show. Uh, We did, spoiler alert, we did not go through with the deal that you see us do on the show. So on the show, you see that we do a deal with Robert and Lori. Uh, I think the final thing was like $725,000 for like 17% of the company or something. And we did not actually go through with that deal in real life. So very similar to shows like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. You can get married on the show. And then six weeks later in Us Weekly, you've broken up on TMZ. So very similar. We love Robert, love Lori, great humans. Can't say enough good things about them. But I just realized we should be, you know, friends and not be married. Mm. Oh, love that. Often, you know, opting for the friend thing versus the married thing sometimes works out for us. Um (laughs) Keep your options open. Oh, always. I love it. Amazing. So I guess just just on that, did you end up getting any investment for the company or is it still today? No, no investment for the company. And I tell people all the time, if you can avoid investment as long as possible, do it. I mean, yes, I know some companies are like, we need investment. And by all means, you should do that. But if you can, I would say work at your corporate job, do this as a side hustle as long as possible, figure out how to work nights and weekends, figure out how you can bootstrap in the beginning. I actually have an entire, I was getting so many questions of people like, how did you bootstrap? How did you do that? I don't, how would I do that? I created a whole course. You can, I did it in partnership with LinkedIn. So it's on LinkedIn's website. It's around bootstrapping. And I think it's like 50 minutes and it's basically everything I wish someone had told me nine years ago. Everything about bootstrapping, how to do it, how you can cut corners in a legal way and, and still you know, create a, a thriving business. Mm-hmm. 
I love that. We'll definitely link that up in the show notes. And I've had a bit of a peep at that one. Um, you know, love the first couple of videos. It's just so on point. Amazing. So I've got a couple of kind of biggish questions for you as we kind of start to head towards the, you know, the end of the episode. So I guess the first one is what were some of the early challenges that you faced really getting the business off the ground? I know we've talked about obviously the success of the business, you know, the shark tank and all of that, and then the, the burnout after. But what, you know, how did you even kind of get your first few clients that were huge and all of that? Yeah, I mean, so many mistakes, so many no's. I mean, it like rained down no's. It was like, I need an umbrella. Where's Rihanna? Like just so many no's all the time. And you just get as scrappy as possible. This is something that I tell people all the time that we did that worked really well. By the way, I still do this. So I'm, I'm practicing what I preach. If you want to go and do something new, do it for free. So how we got our first couple clients is we went up to them and said, listen, again, we were still working at our corporate jobs at this time. So going back to what I was saying about bootstrapping, it's not like we had no money. We sold our corporate jobs. We went to people and said, listen, want to try this new thing? You know, what do you think? Can We'll do it for free. So there's no, you, you don't lose anything. You either get it and it sucks and you hate it and therefore you don't use it or you get it, you love it and great. And we did that once or twice. And then for like the third or fourth, we did it where we were making a little amount of money. I mean, like a thousand dollars, like not enough to live on in New York city. If you've ever been to New York city. So like very, very little, but what it did is it creates a portfolio and it creates a domino effect. And I'm sure you know this, Michelle, from the peers project, like the minute you start working with one company and somebody sees that and they're like, Oh, you work with XYZ. Well, we're ABC. That's impressive. Now we want to talk to you and we want to hire you because we can see that you did that. That technique can work with anything. And I don't care if you're baking cupcakes or you're starting a marketing agency or you're starting a podcast agency. Like, I don't care what it is. It is universal. If you're an app builder, go build an app for free for someone who's even slightly well known or even smaller than that. And that way you can work your way up and say, well, we, we built an app for this chef. Maybe we can build an app for you. And then you do that again. And then you do that again. And it's just like wash, rinse, repeat over and over again. I love that. You know, I think in the early days, especially in the early days, we just, we don't really know what we're doing and we need to test it out. And I think there's really only, you know, we can only do it. We can only learn by doing it. So we might as well test it out for free. So valuable. So I just get people in your portfolio, right. And get people that are happy. So I'll give you an example. I had somebody with me, this is like years ago, came up to me and said, Hey, uh, I'll work on your social media for free. And at the time I was like, cool. Cause right now I don't have anything going on. And they killed it killed it to the point that three months later, they were like, Hey, like, do you mind if we just start charging you this small amount? I was like, not only was I like done, I had already told three friends about them because people noticed people were like, Hey, like I saw like your social media really kind of stepped up. And I was like, well, you got to talk, you got to talk to this person. 
So you also create these super fans, you create these brand advocates for you that they're also then recommending other business to you because they're you. So I always say it's, it's sort of like investing in yourself when you work for free, because that person is going to go on and tell three other people about you. And those three people are going to pay you. So, so true. It's just so true. And I think so many of us have this thing of like, I don't want to, oh, I can't work. Oh, you know, my time is valuable. I can't work for free. Like, you know, but you know, what would you say to people who would say that? Like, but, but my, like I've got skills, you know, I would say one, keep your corporate job. So at the time when we were working for free, I was like, well, it doesn't matter because I still have a corporate job. If you quit your corporate job, one, why'd you quit your corporate job? But whatever, okay, you quit it. I would say get money in another way. So you can use Fiverr, you can use Upwork, you can use any of these other sites to do small work for free or or just kind of quick, become a nanny. I don't know, like find another way to side hustle and make money so that the project that you're trying to do, you can afford, quote unquote, to do a little bit for free. Now, again, I'm not saying do it for free forever. I'm not saying work for free for a year. I'm saying pick one or two instances. So for instance, when I, you know, want to go into something new. So we, for the first time did, this was a couple of years ago, we decided to do like website design for people. And it was something new for us. And it was like, well, we're going to do it for these people and we're going to charge nothing, but I'm only going to do that twice. Once I have two websites in the portfolio, no problem. Because then everybody, since then, it's like, well, okay, you know, pay me X amount of money. People are like, oh, all right. Well, they don't know that you did those other two websites for free. They think that people paid you. I mean, I don't know if you did that early on in the, in the peers project, but saying like, okay, we're going to make one podcast for free. We're going to like kill it. And then anyone who asked that person, well, how'd you make such a cool podcast? They're going to recommend us. And then we're going to charge those people. I mean, did, um, did you guys do that ever? We did like lower cost. So it's actually so funny. So we had this deal. I don't often talk about myself that much on the podcast, but here yeah. we go. You know, it, it was this deal. It was the biggest deal we've actually had to date. The agency is still quite new, but, and it was with this, we ended up, I ended up getting discussions with the, it's a fashion retailer here in Oz. It's quite big. It's called Forever New for those of all the amazing Aussie listeners. And they were like, we can only, we only have this little, little budget to try for a podcast. And we were like, if we do this for them and, you know, we pour in some of our, you know, resources and we do it and we make it epic and huge, then imagine the kind of clients we can get after that. And so I think it's just, and you know, we ended up spending way more than what they gave us. But then that deal to this day is our app, you know, it's the one thing we show to everyone. And, you know, everyone's like, exactly. wow. You know, it does actually work. And I think it's it's almost like exactly what you're saying. It's, it's that like just almost like let go of the ego. Like it's okay. If you're trying something new, then, you know, you might as you might as well just you know allow yourself to to just do it and not be so concerned about the the dolls attached to it. Oh, a hundred percent. And again, it's like get that big calling card, right? Like that is your calling card, that client that you constantly go back to all the time. And so, if you can get something at a lower price or that you feel is undervalued, but it's a calling card. I mean, I say all the time that I'm like, 
you know, if we want to work, if Rihanna ever calls and says, Kim, I only have a dollar. It's like, well, great. We're taking on that project. And they're like, but Rihanna's only going to pay you a dollar. Well, it's Rihanna. So she can pay me a dollar and that's just how it's going to go. So like you call the shots, it's your business, it's your career, it's your whatever. If you decide having Rihanna as a client is worth it for me to only get paid a dollar, then you're getting paid a dollar, but you're going to have Rihanna in your portfolio for the rest of your life. Oh, yes. I love it. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about failure. And, you know, I, I know you mentioned that you had that kind of moment, that the come to Jesus moment, and you were just like, what am I actually doing? You know, what has been your greatest failure to date? And how have you kind of navigated that time? I mean, can we set up a separate podcast purely <laughs> yeah. about my failure? don't have much time left. Because, <laughs> Michelle, I could fill 45 minutes with all of my failures. There have been many. <laughs> I would have to say if I had, I mean... We can go with off the most expensive failures, had a couple, had a couple expensive failures, like five figure expensive, like whoops, there's 50 grand that I'll never see again. You know, I would say the majority of failures come from one of two things. One, not asking enough questions. So not really digging in and doing the research because you're excited and it's a new idea and yeah, let's do it. Oh, oh, you love it. I love it. Okay, boom, let's go. It's and I'll give an example. You know, our company for the first whatever six years was called Zine Pack. Zine like magazine and pack like package. Why? Because again, I'm a baby of the '80s, and so was my former co-founder when everyone called zines. Teen zines, teen zines, queen zines. So you say zine to us, we're like, zines? Yeah, we love zines. Punk zines, you know, totally. I cannot tell you for the years how many times we were called Zine Pack. Zine Pack, Z Pack. I tell people all the time, if I were making Z Packs, you wouldn't hear from me ever again. I'd be on an island with Richard Branson, my own personal one, if I was the creator of Z Packs. Uh, That's not me. So why? Because we didn't ask anyone else that was outside of our friend group. Well, all of our friends were babies in the 80s. Did we ask older people? No. Did we ask younger people? No. Did we ask people in other industries? No. I came from magazines. Anybody who I showed the name to, they were like, oh, Z-Pack, that's cute. Well, they work in publishing. They obviously are going to pronounce it Z-Pack. And so, you know, it's a mistake. When that was the name of our company, arguably the biggest decision you're going to make. And for the first six years, I freaking hated the name. But once you've made it that far, you can't change it. And so it's a prime example of like, well, you're not asking enough people. And so another thing that I always, always, always tell people, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you work in corporate, whether you work at a startup, you need mentors, You need mentors so badly. You don't even know you need mentors. You need mentors. And you don't just need one mentor. Preferably, you have at least three or four mentors. I have categories for them. I mean, you need them because you need outside perspectives from people who are not your age, who are not in your industry, who who don't know your industry, who don't even know you personally sometimes. And I think that that outside perspective will save you. It sure as hell would have saved me 
from a lot of mistakes that I ended up making, but some of them are inevitable and you're always going to make mistakes. So when you make them, it's, you know, it's like, oops, we stepped in dog poop. Next time, look a little closer where you're walking. <laughs> Could always watch out for that dog poop. I mean, look, it just, it appears everywhere. Often. It sneaks up on you. It really does. I love it. Oh, Kim, you know, I could sit here and literally listen to you talk for hours. I'm absolutely so engaged. And I'm sure so many of our listeners are like, this girl is so awesome. But, you know, as we start to wrap up, I guess, you know, in the last, over the last almost 10 years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work. You know, aside from Shark Tank, you were featured on, as you mentioned, Inks 30, 35 under 35, Forbes 30 under 30 list, advertising ages 40 under 40. You're a LinkedIn learning instructor. You also host your own weekly LinkedIn live series, Coffee with Kim. You know, what are three key pieces of advice that you would give to your younger self as you were just starting out? If I could give three pieces of advice to myself back in 2011 when I started my company, it would be number one, clean up your LinkedIn. I think the more digital we get, listen, we're not going back. You're not going to be using paper resumes in the future, especially now, unfortunately, with COVID. We are in a digital first world. We are in a virtual world more than ever before. That is where we are moving. So a lot of people are sleeping on LinkedIn. I have a lot of friends in their 20s and 30s who are like, that's for old people or like, that's not for my industry. I tell you all the time and you'll see people like Gary Vee and some of these other business-based entrepreneurs really push LinkedIn. And it's because that is where the future is going to be. That is your online active resume. That's where people can find you easily. That's where people can type in search words and find new people for new positions. So if you are sleeping on LinkedIn, I would say to wake up. I wish I could tell myself to wake up back in 2011. I think we would have gotten a lot more opportunities than than we currently had, but that would be number one. Uh, number two, I wish I could tell myself again earlier to get a mentor. I think that would be huge. And I think number three, and this podcast is a great example, but find community and find community wherever you can. And some people say, well, I live in rural Ireland or I live in rural America or Texas, you know, wherever it is. Find community. And again, in the digital first age, you can find community. It doesn't have to be physical. You can find a digital community. You can find a podcast like this that you know you really sit in with and, and follow the people that you hear about and get interested in what they're doing. I tell people all the time, I'm in my DMs on Instagram constantly writing back to people. And people are like, is this you? I end up taking selfies of myself being like, yeah, this is me. Like, Let's have a conversation because I think community is really important. And again, going back to like your network is your net worth, like the people in your community matter. So those weekly coffee meetings that I do every Wednesday, where we're bringing on super interesting people to have a great conversation. It's not only me and the person that we're meeting with, it's the people that come every week. The people that come every week are CEOs, they're founders, they're executives, they're in super high power positions that we've had people write in the comments, things like, does anybody know a good XYZ? And before you know it, somebody else is jumping in like, I know this, you should read this book, listen to this thing. It's like, you need to find that community, whatever it means to you and wherever it means to you. So if I, if I could go back in a time machine, which boy, I wish I had one of those. 
I would tell my younger self to find community faster. I would say it took me about two or three years in business to be like, oh, maybe I should talk to other founders. Duh. Or like, oh, maybe I should talk to other females in business. Duh. But I just, I don't know. I was asleep. I love it. Such great pieces of advice. Look, Kim, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for really showing us, especially us female entrepreneurs or female leaders that, you know, we actually can go out there and achieve something and actually do something a little bit different, chase our passions, pursue our dreams. And for that, we really appreciate you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And like I said, you're such a rock star. I love everything that you're doing. And I really hope that the listeners of this podcast engage with you. I know sometimes you can hear podcasts every week and you feel like you know that person, but that person doesn't know you. So I would actually say if anybody's listening to this, you should write an email to Michelle or DM her and tell her you know, what you think about the podcast and things that she should be doing differently or questions you wish she would ask. Because I think... I know I'm guilty of this. I have podcasts that I've listened to for years and I've never once reached out to the people. But if that podcast went away, I would honestly be sad. I'd be like, I like that podcast. Where did they go? And so, you know, sometimes I think we're all guilty of it being a one-way street. So I would say if anybody's listening to this, please reach out to Michelle. Oh, oh, Kim, I have no words for you. You are just, oh, you're just amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value of pursuing what you're most passionate about. I would say the biggest value to you is sleep. You will lose so much sleep, worrying, anxious, stressed about a job or about a career or about a business that you are not happy with, that you don't like, that doesn't inspire you, that doesn't make you happy. And we're all going to have bad days. Don't get me wrong. It is not sunshine and rainbows every day in the land of Kim Cal. I know it's not sunshine and rainbows in the day of you. But overall, you have to wake up each day. I don't want to say excited about the day. Instead, I will say generally excited. You're not going to be excited every day. It's unrealistic. Generally excited about what you do. And so by following your passion, by following something that you believe in, you will sleep better. And I personally really love to sleep. So that would be my answer. Oh, Kim, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. We have had a blast. Yay. Where can people learn more about you and the super fan company? Uh, my mom would say that I spend entirely too much time on Instagram, which is probably true. And as well as LinkedIn, although I have other platforms, I haven't been on Twitter in a while. Probably should get better about that one. But I would say LinkedIn and Instagram are the best. It's really easy to find me because you just start typing in Kim Kardashian, like K-I-M-K-A. And then the first thing you're going to see is Kim Kardashian. And then I'm right under her. So when you find the Kim K with her clothes on, that's me. So clothes on me, clothes off. 
probably Kim Kardashian. (laughs) We love that. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Kim. It's been so awesome. Thank you, Michelle. This was awesome. Yay. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>